Good afternoon, Metro Augusta. This is Janice Allen Jackson, welcoming you to the April 21st edition of Local Matters, a show designed to make you a more confident voter and a more engaged citizen. Our show is brought to you by the Security Federal Bank. Security Federal has 17 locations between Columbia, South Carolina and Augusta, Georgia, and they want to serve you. They serve people and businesses from all walks of life, which is to say that if you are a self-employed individual, a sole proprietor, if you own your own small or mid-sized business, if you are a church or a nonprofit, or if you're just um, someone who's trying to get ahead in life and needs to do some better financial planning, Security Federal has services and resources to help you. If you believe you may be eligible for the Federal Paycheck Protection Program, uh, please go see them to check your eligibility for that. But please also go see them if you need any other banking services. I also invite you to check my website. That is the website of Janice Allen Jackson and Associates. If you have missed any episode of Local Matters, they are all there on my website. You get to the homepage, you go up to the top left, you'll see uh, a Local Matters tab. You go there and you can see any show. You can listen to anything that you might have missed or you feel like you need to catch again. Also, the technology allows you to share those shows with others. So please uh, feel free to do so because we want as many people as possible to know that Local Matters is out there for you. Today's show in particular is one that highlights why I created Local Matters. My guest is Ms. Lynn Bailey, who is Director of Voter Registration and Elections for Richmond County. And she is going to set the record straight about what the state legislature and later the governor approved in terms of changes to our voting laws. At Local Matters Family, you all know that I think every guest on Local Matters is special. But the person I have on today is special beyond um, what you would imagine. She's somebody I had the pleasure of working with for almost five years. And uh, she is someone who has been serving the residents of Richmond County for most of her adult life. So um, I am very pleased to introduce Ms. Lynn Bailey. She's our Director of Voter Registration and Elections. Uh, she followed in the footsteps of somebody else who had a great reputation in Richmond County, and that was uh, Miss Linda Beasley. Uh, she grew up under her tutelage, and as always, when I have guests, you know, we're going to talk about changes in voter laws and how voters need to educate themselves. We're going to talk about all that stuff, but we're also first going to ask her to tell us how she got to be Director of Voter Registration and Elections 28 years ago. Janice, hey, good afternoon. Thank you so much for inviting me to, to, to have this talk with you. I appreciate it very, very much. Um, you know, as far as how I came about being in this job, you know, I don't think there are many people that set out in life and say, you know, when I grow up, I think I'd like to work in elections. I, I think for most people that do this job, it's something that they fall into and immediately 
or, or for those of us that it really takes with it, it becomes a part of your soul. It's not just your job anymore. Um, there's such a great value, I think, in the job that we do and the, in the service that we provide. So there I was, 18 years old, just having graduated high school and um, needed a job. And a good friend of mine was personnel director with Richmond County Government at the time and was also friends with Linda Beasley, as you mentioned earlier. So she needed a person to work in her office. I needed a job. So the connection was made. Um, I will be honest with you and tell you for the first two weeks I worked in the office, when I would answer the phone, I would say Board of Education, Board of Education, who had ever heard of Board of Elections? Not me. Uh, so, you know, it, it was a transition time, but it didn't take me long to realize uh, the, the, you know, as I said earlier, the tremendous value um, of the work performed by that office, the dedication and the, the sheer determination and, and uh, the, the, the call to duty, I guess, uh, that we rose to time and time again. You mentioned Linda's name earlier. She was a wonderful mentor to me. We worked together for nearly 20 years before she moved on to be a county administrator. And then from there, uh, left Richmond County, went on to be elections director for the state of Georgia for 10 years. So we had a nice, long, sustained relationship. And uh, I, I give her all the credit for where I sit today. All right. Very good. And I will let people know that there are many uh, elections offices in the state of Georgia that do not operate with the efficiency that Richmond Counties does. Um, and one of the reasons for that is because of the steadying presence of Miss Bailey, um, because she's been there, she knows she's been able to train her staff uh, so that they know how to react to different situations. And the lack of turnover in that office is one of the things that I believe contributes to it being able to run so efficiently. So we appreciate you serving the citizens for as long as you have. Thank you, ma'am. And I would have to agree wholeheartedly with you. We, we have very little turnover in this office and you know, having that good uh, solid maturity and, and, uh, and dedication, it, it goes a long ways. It goes a long ways. All right. And of course, um, you have been at the forefront over the last almost a year, because if you go back to uh, the elections, we were supposed to have an election in March. I think it got postponed because of COVID. Right. And then from there, elections to runoff, primary general election runoffs, et cetera. And then the Splost election that we most recently had, right. um, 16, you, your office has been very busy. And we people have been, and, and I, I would even take it back a little further than that, uh, you know, going all the way back to the 2018 elections, really, with the gubernatorial election in Georgia, you know, it was such a, a, a hard fought uh, election there in 2018, and we rolled right from that into implementing a new voting system and then into the 2020 year. So the last few years have been, have been a bit of a battlefield for us. Yes, they have been. And now I think you're facing more of a battlefield because the state legislature has made some pretty substantial changes in the laws. And we know that the bills were introduced and as always, they make changes while they're in the House and in the Senate. Uh, can you kind of help us understand the major changes that were actually passed and signed into law by Governor Kemp? I can, and, and thank you for that great question. Uh, it's not lost on me uh, every day when I read the various newspapers that I that I keep up with, 
I, I constantly read things about this legislation reported in news media that simply are not true. So I always appreciate having the opportunity to dispel some rumors and hopefully allay some fears. Um, I know that this legislation has caused great angst uh, in, in a lot of people because there, there are so many changes and they're so widespread. So let's talk about a couple of the major ones and, and perhaps debunk a couple of um, rumors and myths about the legislation that might make uh, people feel better about it. Um, there is no doubt that there will be change. The bill is 100 pages long, and I would, uh, I think I'm fairly accurate to say there are very little parts of our job that are left untouched by this legislation. Um, but let's talk about uh, the things that we hear so much about, like voter ID uh, and voting an absentee ballot. You know, I read the paper time after time uh, and, and read in newspapers that in order to get a ballot sent to you by mail, that you have to provide a copy of your photo ID. You do not. What the law requires you do have to provide is an ID number and your date of birth. So you do have to have an ID in order to provide that number, but you do not have to provide a copy of that ID as long as you provide the number of your date of birth. And the same is true for your ballot after it's voted and you send it back. You put your ID number on there and your date of birth, you send it in and if everything matches and it should, um, then, then you're not gonna have any problems. Uh, we won't be verifying signatures anymore. Signatures will still be required as part of the form, but we will not be verifying signatures. We'll be using the ID numbers and the dates of birth that are sent in as, as validation points for the absentee application and the ballots. Um, speaking of ID, this is also something that, that I, I think the community just isn't aware of because they, for the most part, may not have a reason to be. Uh, but as far as identification goes, Right now in Georgia law, and it has been the case for at least 15 years, if you need an ID card for voting purposes and you go to the Department of Driver Services to, to get an ID card, um, and of course you have to provide your documentation, your date, your birth certificate, all your stuff that you have to provide when you get the ID. But if it's for voting purposes and you tell them that and you're indigent and you sign an affidavit to that effect, then you get that card free. Now, you don't get it for free if you just need it to cash checks and things like that. Of course, there's a cost that comes with it. But if you need the card for voting purposes and you tell them that and you can't afford to pay for it, you get it for free in that state law. The other thing people need to know is that as far as ID goes, for the people who do not have a Georgia driver's license or ID card, every registrar's office in the state of Georgia, every elections office in the state of Georgia has the ability to make an identification card for voting purposes. And so you're not just left out in the cold without a way to get an ID. Uh, the card that we provide is also free of charge. Um, it's, it's not complicated or difficult to get. So uh, for folks who, who may not have a driver's license or may not have gotten um, an ID card, uh, they can get that card from our office. Now, uh, the most efficient way to do it because the application for the absentee ballot and the absentee ballot itself are gonna call for that ID number is to get an ID card if you don't have one. Uh, the next thing that people should know is there will be significant changes in the way we use drop boxes. You know, in, in, in 2020, we had uh, multiple drop boxes set out around Richmond County and uh, that provision was put into place um, by the Secretary of State to accommodate, to help accommodate the pandemic and frankly, to keep people from coming into our office and exposing people like us and our staff from COVID to, to provide a safe way for ballot return. 
Um, what this new law does is it takes that emergency rule and somewhat writes it into law in that it mandates that um, each county has a drop box, uh, but the change is the drop box is limited in scope and in number. Uh, in Richmond County, according to the number of registered voters we have here, we can have one drop box instead of five like we had last year. Um, and they also have to be located indoors, so they won't be available 24-7. So it won't be as convenient as it was in 2020. Uh, but that's this is what we have, you know, right now. Um, the other thing to remember, uh, let's talk about advanced voting just a little bit. So advanced voting, I, I keep hearing uh, over and over again that the hours for advanced voting have been cut or slashed or minimized somehow. Um, so the, the real truth of the matter, there were several versions of that legislation that went through. Some versions were minimal and some were not. But the end result, the end product, was that for a normal election, we have uh, advanced voting. The same period of time we have now, we start uh, basically 21 days before the election or thereabouts. Um, but what has changed is instead of having one mandatory Saturday, we now have two mandatory Saturdays uh, around the state. Uh, that's every county in Georgia must have those two Saturdays. But in addition to that, we may also have two uh, optional Sundays in there. Uh, weekend voting hours used to be under the formal law from uh, required to be from nine to four. They are now required to be from nine to five. Uh, so that's been an extension um, that, that's been provided mandatory across the state. Uh, the other thing that was written into law too is uh, we, we do have to be open from nine to five, but we can be open from seven to seven if we want to. So, so there's much more flexibility in that regard. And our smaller counties uh, around the state are, are um, finding it a, a bit of a, a difficult situation they're in because they are now having to open up an additional Saturday when their voters were well accommodated with one Saturday. And uh, they're also mandated to put a drop box in when maybe they didn't have one before, but you know, Richmond County is of a size that uh, will take advantage of, of every opportunity we have to, to, to promote easy access. Okay. And how many drop boxes did you say Richmond County will have now? Well, we had five in 2020. Mm -hmm. uh, moving forward, we'll have exactly one. We have one, one drop. You may have, under this new law, we may, you may have uh, one drop box for every 100,000 registered voters that you have. Mm -hmm. uh, so for Richmond County, we go from five to one. For places like Fulton County in the Atlanta area, they go from 35 to eight. So it, you know, it's all dependent upon the number of registered voters that you have. Now, the other thing to keep in mind with all of this is that you know, there have been many lawsuits filed. Who knows what will, will happen uh, by the time um, that you know, we get finished up in court with all of this. But uh, for right now, that's where things stand. Um, So that, that's where we are. And those are, those are the key points. And there are other things in there where the, the state election board can come in and take over basically uh, underperforming elections offices. Uh, one of my board members asked me the other day, how, how does that affect us? Should we be worried about that? And, and my answer to that was, well, do you plan on being less of a board member? Do I plan on being less of an employee or a staff doing a, a, a worse job or any? I don't. So I'm not particularly concerned about that, at least not here, but it certainly did put a mechanism in place uh, for uh, a takeover of a local elections office to be uh, begun by 
a resolution from the local governing authority like the uh, commission or, or council um, by a certain member of the legislative delegation or by the state election board or secretary of state's office. So it's a, it, you know, it is a, it is a thing that's looming out there. Um, so th those are the big ticket things that I keep hearing about. Okay. And in terms of the advanced voting, I understand that additional hours on the weekends, additional days and on the weekends, which makes for additional hours. Did the advanced voting period get shortened? It, it, well, it didn't for normal elections, but uh, what did get shortened is we have right now uh, under the, the former law up until this law, runoffs were nine weeks from the election. And because of, and, there, there are many reasons why that law was changed years ago, which I will not go into here today, but that's the way it's been the last four or five years. Prior to that, runoffs were, were three or four weeks after the initial election. So we're moving back to that structure. And in doing so, um, th there's just no way that we can provide advanced voting less than three weeks after an election that we've just had. So we have to run off four weeks away. So basically advanced voting for runoffs will be shortened to one week, but for normal elections that aren't runoffs, uh, the, the period of time is actually expanded. Uh, so, you know, that's that's the situation and that's where that conversation comes from. Okay. You said the advanced voting period for runoffs is shorter, but it's actually longer for the general election? More opportunities for it. The same period of time, it's the same window of time from start to finish, but in the middle of that window, they, they built in an additional mandated Saturday voting. So every county in Georgia will be open for two Saturdays instead of one for advanced voting. And any county in Georgia can opt to do Sunday voting on those same weekends that we have Saturday voting. Um, and they also codified um, the, the standard hours now are nine to five instead of nine to four. So that's an extra mandated hour and we can be open from 7 a.m. until 7 p.m. So, you know, the end result is for most elections is we actually are going to have more time for advanced voting than we had had. Okay. All right. And let me ask this question. One of the things I keep hearing is you can't bring a bottle of water to somebody that's waiting in line. Yeah. Is that accurate? Well, let me just say, let me, let me start this conversation by saying, um, you know, that, that whole concept is a, is a new thing. It's, it's a new thing for, that, that I heard of for the first time in 2020. Um, the whole concept of, of bringing refreshments to people standing in line. Um, it had never even been considered or asked for here before 2020. So, um, so what, it is, what is true is that is when voters are standing in line, no one can approach them within 150 feet of the building where voting is taking place. So it's a, it's a buffer zone for voters. And that now also includes and is codified to include anyone, any special interest group, any church, any anybody who wants to step inside that 150 foot buffer to give voters any type of refreshments. You're just not allowed to do it. And I must say that that was, before it was even written into law, that's how we operated here in Richmond County, even for the November election and, uh, and January. I mean, there were lots of groups out there who, who wanted to provide refreshments, but my thoughts at the time were is, you know, someone can stand there and tell me, oh, I'm not campaigning. I'm just giving someone a drink of water. But I don't know what they're saying to voters once they get inside that 150 feet. 
And uh, I think we do have an obligation to um, uh, protect voters from any type of undue influence uh, inside that 150 feet. So it sounds harsh when it's put in terms like you just stated, where can we not sustain people as they stand in line? I mean, it sounds really harsh uh, to, to, to say that and to have it written down, uh, but I would argue that it was already in the law. It just wasn't expressed that way. So it's, it's, uh, it, it really is unfortunate um, the way it's worded. And I think it's hurt a lot of feelings and um, yes. you know, it just sounds yes. terrible. And uh, you know, another thing to keep in mind too, this law, uh, the same law um, that has the, the protections to sustain people that might have to wait in line an extraordinary amount of time, it also has a provision in there that if a, if a precinct that has over 2,000 registered voters, so a big precinct, uh, if a voter has to wait more than an hour to check in, then before we have another election, we have to do something about that to get that wait time down to an hour or less. So we have to find another polling, you know, split them or put in more equipment or poll workers, whatever it takes that's appropriate for make, to make that line not be as long. So I hope that um, those type laws and the fact that so many people uh, vote during advance voting and so many people are voting by mail these days that it's that it's just not going to be an issue at these having the long lines. Um, that that is the hope anyway. But you know we'll see. Okay. And as you talk about voting by mail, mm -hmm. I heard you mention about the ID requirement. You just want the number, which is to say, you just want my driver's license number. Mm -hmm. If I do that, that's right. Are there any restrictions on? who can request a ballot in advance? Because I think that was something that was some confusion about. Is it going to be that anybody can request a ballot in advance or yes. is it only going to be for elderly or people who are out of the state at the time? You know, there is some confusion about that because there was talk of uh, one of the bills coming out of the Senate uh, uh, would mandate an excuse for voting by mail. But that was not, uh, that, was, that didn't make the final draft. So we still have the same, no excuse absentee ballot, no excuse advance voting uh, in the state of Georgia that we have always had. Now, there are a couple of things that have changed though. For instance, um, one thing that you can't do anymore, uh, you used to be able to, um, let's say at a church event, uh, collect a bunch of absentee ballot applications from people at your church and then bring them here to our office for processing. Can't do that anymore. Uh, the application, in a lot of ways is, is now to be treated much like the ballot itself in that the voter uh, can be in possession of it and a person entitled by law to insist to assist that voter can be in possession of, of the application. I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that we are now required to provide driver's license number and dates of birth on those forms. And so it's a way to protect people's personal information um, that's a speculation on, on my part that, that that's why that law was changed. But there have been some changes there and also, um, you know, changes uh, for the return of the ballot that make a return of a ballot in, by a person who is unauthorized to return that ballot a felony. Uh, so it's, you know, it's important, um, you know, that we recognize that it, it, it never was legal to go to your next door neighbor's house if you were on your way to the municipal building to drop off your ballot and to bring their ballot along and drop it off. That has never been legal. It's only uh, only the voter or a family member or someone um, uh, entitled by law to assist that voter could be could hold and be in possession of their ballot. 
but it was not a felony, but now it is. Wow. Mm -hmm. Okay. So we're going to have to pay that notice of attention. It says, you know, fam for family members, members of your household or something. Really, like that. really do. And you know what? It, and it all drives back to education, doesn't it? It all drives back to, to knowing the rules that you're playing by and, um, and, and make sure that you, you can adhere to them. Okay. Uh, and just to be clear, we're going to say this one more time. There is still no excuse voting by mail. That's correct. Yes, yeah. you can do it just because you like it. And, you know, I, I don't think moving forward, I, you know, I hope and pray to the Lord that we, uh, that we are, are beyond some of this wackiness by the time we roll into these elections a year from now. Um, but who's to say what our conditions will be like? But uh, I, I know that a lot of people I talked to in 2020 would have preferred to go to the polls to vote. They prefer to vote in person or during advanced voting, but they were afraid to because of health conditions or, you know, or whatever. They, they were worried to do that. So I, I think what we'll see moving forward is possibly a forever increase in the number of ballots we sent out by mail because so many people got them by mail for the first time and really liked it. But I don't think we're going to see things to the crazy level that we saw in in uh, 2020, where half the people who voted voted by mail, because uh, there are a lot of people that still prefer to vote in person. But but yes, to, to, to get back to answer your question, yes, Georgia is no excuse, and that has not changed. All right, very good. There's one more thing I want to point out, and this is not, uh, this is just something I know you keep up with. And, you know, that last election, we had 5.97% of the Richmond County voters vote in the special election. Mm -hmm. And I think you had predicted maybe 10 or 15%. I mean, knowing it was going to be low for any special election, but that was mind boggling to it me. It really was. It's not the lowest I've ever seen. The very lowest I've ever seen was just slightly over 5%. It was in some runoff for state school board superintendent or, you know, some, some statewide office that had a runoff uh, that obviously people didn't find very exciting. So, you know, I, I don't know, anytime that we have a standalone issue on a ballot, no, generally speaking, uh, no matter what it is, we're going to have a low turnout. Uh, but it was my feeling coming off of 2020 that voters in large part were just kind of over elections for a minute. I mean, we've just, you know, people, the term is voter fatigue, call it what you will, but uh, obviously, um, there wasn't a, a, a huge interest uh, in, in Richmond County voter, voters in coming out to vote. Maybe they didn't know. I don't know. But uh, anyway, yep, low turnout, expensive election. You know, it still still costs about one hundred sixty thousand dollars for those eighty two hundred people to come out to vote. Um, so you know, there we are. Yeah. So basically, in addition to um, wasting your right to vote, you are wasting your tax dollar. There's no, no doubt about it. Yes, elections are, are, are really expensive. Uh, they always have been, but they're more expensive these days. You know, what would the, uh, the, the hand sanitizer and the, and the stuff that we send out to the polls that, you know, moving forward, I think regardless of the state of things, we will continue to provide hand sanitizer at the polls, even well beyond uh, uh, any pandemic conditions because at this point, it's like, well, why wouldn't you? You know, it's a, it probably should have been doing it all along. Uh, but but couple that with the fact that Georgia's voting system is now uh, providing a paper ballot for every voter who votes. Uh, so whether you uh, vote at the polls on election day or you vote by mail, you're still using a piece of paper and there come, a cost comes with that piece of paper. 
one of the things that was changed uh, in this legislation was that we are now required to move to a to some type of yet to be determined security paper for ballots so that the scanners can detect whether or not it's a true real ballot that's that's going through when we count the ballots. Just another layer of security, I guess, to protect against, and I don't even know how one would do it, but to protect against fake ballots getting run through the system or whatnot. Uh, so all those things come with the cost, all that security stuff comes with the cost. Um, so elections, I think the cost has pretty much doubled. Uh, what we saw last November was actually a tripling uh, of the cost. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much for being wow. my guest and uh, informing our residents. We appreciate the role you play, not just in making the elections happen, but also educating the public about their rights and responsibilities to make sure that we stay in compliance with the law. So well, you are well, most welcome. It's my absolute pleasure. Call me anytime. Thanks. I close with my favorite Bible verse from 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. This show is designed to contribute to each of those, giving you the power that comes with knowledge, demonstrating love for your local community, and offering you wisdom for decision-making so that you possess a sound mind when it comes to these topics. Please tune in next Wednesday at 1.30 p.m. here on WKZK, 1600 AM, 103.7 FM, and WKZK.net, because local matters.